Good morning, Anchor community. I'm Susan. I'm so privileged, so glad to be with you this morning. I would love to meet you if I haven't had the chance to do that. It's so good to see you. How are you guys doing? Yeah, good. It's good to be here together. Um, and as Brian said, I have the privilege of taking us into week four of our Unlikely series, where we're looking at God's work and the unlikely life of King David. And so we've seen that he was the unlikely youngest Sib who got anointed by God and chosen as king. We see that he was the unlikely victor over the giant in his life, Goliath, with the strength and the help of the Lord. We see that last week Saul was attacking him and we see God's unlikely protection. God is likely, but as David brought him into his circumstances in unlikely ways, God protected David from Saul. Because when we look at the life of David and we see God's work in someone like him, who was unlikely in so many ways and God working in so many ways that surprise us, we have hope that God is alive and well and working in our lives today in unlikely ways. And so we're going to launch into uh, David's life uh, in a bit. But I want to share with you a story. This is a, a memory from a while back. It was a college class that I took. It was called Sociology of the American Family. And it was at the State University where I attended. And the thing about this class is a lot of people had to take it. And the professor was somebody who wanted to rattle the cages of all the undergrads who were home, you know, away from home for the first time in their life. And one of the things he in particular wanted to do was to um, bust up our stereotypes on what we were looking for in a life partner, in a spouse. And here's what he would say. He would say, guys, you are hoping that you will find a woman who loves being at your side, who's super encouraging in everything she does, who laughs at all your jokes and who can look pretty good in a moment's notice and is super level-headed, organized, can meet all the needs of the fam, and is secure enough for you to go hang out with your friends whenever you want. Women, he would say, <clears throat> women, you're looking for a guy who pursues you, who sweeps you off your feet with the most awesome Insta story, prom invitation or proposal for marriage, who is emotionally sensitive, who is, um, has verbal expression, and, and he's tender, but he's also the president of the corporation, and he's the buff athlete, and he's the life of the party, and he's the alpha male whenever you want him to be, right? He's like, strength and sensitivity, it's not gonna happen. It's unlikely to happen in the same person. And if you think you're going to find it, you're going to be disappointed. And if you, if you try to be it, you're only going to fall short. Because that combination in people is not likely. I'm looking at my husband. <laughs> that combination is not likely. And but what the, the professor didn't say and maybe didn't know is that the way of Jesus is unlikely. And the way of Jesus invites us to be comfortable in our strengths and to move in the fullness of those and also to press in and be comfortable with the sensitivity that God made us to have. Because in that vulnerability 
of sensitivity and, and, and understanding our hearts and being able to press in on things that are emotionally intimate, God is found and freedom is had. And so David was an unlikely king in that he was willing to be vulnerable, but that vulnerability in, a, in an unlikely way, a paradoxical way, didn't keep him captive, it didn't keep him confined, it actually set him free. So David was vulnerable, but he was free. So we're gonna look at the life of David. What was it about the life of David that allowed him to be vulnerable but free? David was strong, like we can agree on that. He was a shepherd and from a young age, he was bold and courageous as a shepherd. He was a mighty warrior. Um, he was the king of Israel who would be renowned for millennia. Uh, but David also relied on God in his tender moments, cried out to him with psalms and worship and songs in a way like no other. David was vulnerable. What do we even mean by vulnerability? It's kind of like a word that is uncomfortable even to talk about, right? I can say that word and our 23-year-old son will say, I'm out of here, bye, <laughs> right? So vulnerability, like we don't mean that, yes, there are risks out there and they may come against us and we may get hurt. Yes, that is vulnerability. What we're talking about is emotional vulnerability with God and with others that is letting down our armor. It's refusing to take up armor that protects us from relationship with him and with those that we love. It's not wearing the armor of accomplishments and accolades that make us feel good about ourselves. It's not wearing the armor of self-promotion that keeps us from feeling insecure or unseen. It's not wearing the armor of self-protection that keeps us from ever being hurt. You see, when David fought Goliath, he refused to wear Saul's armor. And he refused to wear it, not because he wasn't worried about spears and javelins, but because he trusted in the living God who he knew was the one protecting him. He didn't want to wear the armor of self-protection. And so he said, God, living God, protect me. That's what we're talking about with vulnerability. And as David refused to wear that armor, he is going to find freedom. We'll see that David was vulnerable. We're going to look at um, 2 Samuel chapter 6, and we're going to start in uh, verse 14. We're going to go to verse 23. We're going to jump around a little bit, but we're going to look at his life, um, and we're going to start with verse 14 here. So read with me. Uh, wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he and all the Israelites were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. I want to set the backstory for you here. David is now king in this passage. He's waited a long time. He's been anointed a long time ago, and for 10 years of fleeing Saul, who was the former king, he now has been placed on the throne. He has a wife, Michal, who has been apart from him because of his fleeing. He's, uh, he's setting up his kingdom. If I'm him, I'm anticipating that because it's been a long time in coming. 
And so as David enters the city of Jerusalem, which they've conquered, and he has a, a home there called the city of David, he is doing priority one in his reign as king of Israel. And that is bringing in something called the Ark of the Lord. And the Ark of the Lord is also called the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God. It was a box. And it was an ornate box built to God's specifications. It was covered with gold and it had God's particular instructions about it because it was where his presence would dwell as he met with his people. It was an important symbol of God's very presence. And at times in the life of the Israelites, he had dwelled there and met with the leaders of Israel. And so here's what David's saying that we don't want to miss. It's like, I'm, an, I'm now king, and I don't want to start my reign without the presence of God being brought into Jerusalem and leading the way. But what does David do in this unlikely moment? David probably had a kingly robe. There have been archaeologists who found remnants of kingly robes from David's era. It would have been richly ornamented and dyed with really rare colors. He would have, he would have been proud to wear that as king, or if, if I were king, I would be proud to wear that. But what David does here in this moment is remarkable. He takes off his kingly robe and he puts on a common ephod because David's vulnerability does not fit expectations. True vulnerability does not fit expectations. David's anticipated being king for a long, long time, but he's going to take off his kingly robe and he's going to put on something called a linen ephod. A linen ephod was a simple garment tied at the top, um, came about to the waist or below. We also read elsewhere that David would have had a priestly robe underneath that linen ephod. But he's wearing something common. It would have been something that even a little boy, like the prophet Samuel, would have worn if he were serving in the house of God. He's not distinguishing himself. It's unlikely. It does not fit expectations. He's dancing in the streets with the common people. We see that he is with, the, with Israel, bringing in the ark of God with them. Um, and McCall, his wife, sees him from the window, and she despises him in her heart. When someone sees one being vulnerable, it doesn't always go well for them. And so as we see David's vulnerability didn't fit expectations, we see Saul, uh, Michal is mortified. And she stands from the window, and not even with him, sees her expectations falling short. She's waited a long time for her husband, King. And what she sees is someone who is coming in undignified, and she's ashamed. And she was hoping and expecting that he would come in in dignity with a kingly robe and make her feel like a queen. And McCall's expectations fall short. David would allow himself to be vulnerable regardless of Michal's expectations. David wouldn't care if he didn't fit the expectations of his wife, of the people around him. As he's dancing before God, it's as though no one else is in the room. 
David is dancing before the Lord with all his might. It was unexpected. We have uh, three kids. Our oldest, um, when he was applying to college, uh, we knew had a decent chance of getting into some pretty prestigious schools just because that's who he was. So we won't brag on him, but that's just who he was. Uh, and as he started to hear back from some schools that he'd applied to, um, some of them were East Coast Ivy League schools. And it was pretty exciting for his parents and his teachers. Because here's what I thought. I thought, oh, wouldn't that be cool if like, he got into that school that's known worldwide and I could put that decal in my rear window of my car? Like, I'm the mom of a this place student. Uh, I imagined like going to that place and being at an event that had like former presidents and, and, and world leaders emerging from it. And it was pretty fun to think about those things. And I, this didn't even come to my conscious thought. But he was deciding at the, in the very end, he was deciding between this school that was known worldwide and this school that probably, if you're not in the Pacific Northwest, you wouldn't have heard of. And it wasn't that there was something wrong with this well-known school. But as he looked at the people that he saw and knew were associated with each place, he said, I want to be like these. And in my mind, subconsciously even, I was like, oh, you know, just a, not disappointed because I was so proud of him for making that choice. I noticed teachers kind of like, oh, when, when they would hear. But here's what I realized as I look back at that time is like, I wanted armor of accomplishment and accolade through my son. And he was saying, I don't want to get used to armor that's going to keep me from being vulnerable with God and with others around me. And he knew himself. True vulnerability doesn't fit expectations, does it? And the, the, the interesting thing is that it was, it was a little bit costly for him. You know, as people are disappointed, sometimes they, they shift gears in their relationship with you. And so it costs us to be vulnerable. And sometimes it costs us to be vulnerable with God. Sometimes our hurt and our pain can come from expectations that we have of what it's going to look like to be vulnerable with him and with others. What I want to suggest is that in those places where it's painful or uncomfortable or confusing, where your, your vulnerability has not been safeguarded by another, is that God meets us particularly in those places. If you're in a place like that, I hope that you will pause and listen for his invitation in that way. Because the truth is that he wants to set us free at the very moment that we want to take a different direction, that we want to go another way. Because true freedom actually starts in that tender moment of vulnerability. And so we see that in David's life. True freedom begins with vulnerability. We're going to look at two ways that vulnerability was um, addressed, engaged in this passage. One was through David and one was through McCall. And uh, let's read in verse 20. Uh, David returned home to bless his household. Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said this, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half-naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. 
David said to McCall, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in high honor. And McCall, daughter of Saul, had no children till the day of her death. We're going to look at the way of David in vulnerability. We're looking at true freedom actually starts with David's vulnerability. So like as David is like mindset on king, we're going to see that he, he doesn't grasp a hold of that. And he's willing to let it go. And he's willing to dance his heart out kind of like a father of the bride does. And the daughter's like, wow, I've never seen you dance like that before. Right? You've seen that. David has had uh, a long time with the Lord, and his freedom to dance before God has roots years and years and years ago. David's freedom comes from vulnerability. Vulnerability, intimacy. You don't have one without the other. One writer, speaker would say that you can't have intimacy without vulnerability. And then when you are vulnerable, you have more intimacy. And so David is somebody who has pressed in on that intimacy with God. And he's done so throughout his life, but in particular in the wilderness times of his life. When he was a young shepherd, and he was shepherding sheep, and he was alone, and he was tending his flocks, he would call on God, and he would write psalms and songs and, and worship and in, in calling out to God to, to meet him in those places. He was tested and formed in the wilderness, just like you and I are. I want to show you a couple of things to just help us get a visual of that. Um, one is a picture of the Judean wilderness. They're both pictures of the Judean wilderness that I took when I was in Israel. And the, the first one is this one that um, has a picture of a boy on a donkey who would have been about David's age at the time he was shepherding. This is an actual Israeli shepherd boy. And I want you to look around and see the dry landscape and to, to feel the heat and to imagine the nights alone in this place with a flock of sheep. And I want you to, to, to just be in David's mindset as he would write these two psalms. Psalm 63. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a parched and dry land where there is no water. Psalm 23 is even better. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. I look at this picture, and I don't see everything I need. But he says, you lead me beside still waters. You make me lie down in green pastures. I don't see still waters and green pastures here. David is in faith because of his intimacy with God, seeing what God has provided for him and trusting him for more. He says, you take me on right paths for your namesake. There are no trail markers in this, in this place. 
He's trusted God and that intimacy has been forged and formed and shaped in the wilderness of his life. And that intimacy has been something that has allowed him to be even more vulnerable and his freedom has been found there. David is free to dance before the Lord with all his might. Doesn't matter who's in the room because he has intimacy with the Lord. I wanna take a look at McCall. We love McCall. We have compassion on McCall. McCall has a story. But McCall is also icy cold in our passage. I want to start with um, verse 16. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city, McCall, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. When she saw King David, she despised him in her heart. So cold. What is going on? She's not down there with him. She's not his wife, the writer says. He feels the cold, too. She's daughter of Saul. He's not her husband. He's, 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 uh, um, she's not, um, her, he's not her husband. He's King David. He's one removed. She's not feeling that closeness. And when she sees him, she hates him at the very core of her being. What happened to Michal that would cause her to be so bitter? It causes us to wonder. We're going to look at verse 20. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. She met him on the driveway with toxic, poisonous words. She couldn't wait for his biggest day for him to come into the house, even though he's coming to bless her. She had to go out and accuse him of being half naked in front of the lowly people that were in the streets with him. Biting sarcasm. David retorts, he's not perfect either. Where did this come from? As we look at McCall, one thing that's super interesting to me is if you go to 1 Samuel chapter 18, you see three words that aren't found any other place in Scripture when it's talking about a woman and a man. McCall loved David. Only place in Scripture where you see a woman loved a man. Can you imagine the vulnerability that she had given David. As you look at more of her story and the backlog of disappointments that she had, she was a pawn in so many ways. She was given in a manipulative scheme to David as a wife, and it was a political move, but it was also to trap him. Um, she, David had taken other wives along the way uh, as he escaped Saul with her help, by the way, she'll remind us. Uh, he was gone for a long time. What was going on in her heart in that time? It's a place where bitterness can be found, right? It's a place where that seed of bitterness, Hebrews 12 says this, keep a sharp eye out. Keep a sharp eye out for weeds of bitter discontent. A thistle or two gone to seed can ruin a whole garden in no time. McCall's heart had grown bitter. The thing that's so important for us to know in this moment where McCall's heart has grown bitter is it's not too late, even for her. God can meet us in that place, and he longs to set us free, and as we're able to take one courageous step toward him in vulnerability, he will meet us in that place, and he will bring us to one step after another of new freedom, even for McCall, because he is a God who sets free. Imagine McCall finding that freedom. Imagine McCall finding healing. 
You know, we all have our stories of healing. I have my own. I've sat with many of you as you've shared yours. It's been such an honor to be in that place with you. One of the things that I've been so struck with is that it's, it's hard to go to those places that we have felt vulnerable and that vulnerability has not been safeguarded. It takes a ton of courage. But the thing that I have such conviction about is that the freedom that God wants to bring you in that moment far exceeds any pain, discomfort, or, or any, any kind of like boundary of courage that you could take. His freedom that he wants you to have far exceeds that discomfort and that pain. I would invite us to continue, if you're not already, or if you already are, or if you haven't yet taken steps of courage in your own healing from bitterness or disappointment where you've been vulnerable, to begin that conversation with a trusted person who follows Jesus. Maybe it's someone here or one of our anchor staff. Maybe it's someone in a group that you are part of, an anchor group or a growth group. I encourage you to do that because the truth is that true freedom will heal those relationships. True vulnerability will heal those relationships. And so I encourage us in that way. When you find that freedom, it doesn't stay within you. There are ripple effects that others can see, and we see that in the life of David, that his freedom overflowed to others. David came in as a priestly king. He was wearing a linen ephod because he wanted to be seen as a servant of God who was going to lead Israel in that way. And as he humbled himself, he blessed others in the name of God Almighty. I want to read um, verse 17. They brought the ark of the Lord in. They set it in the place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he'd finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. I want you to see the heart of God in what David is doing. David is taking the blessing that he's generously been given and received, and he's turning it around to bless others and to send them out into that blessing. And he's giving to them generously. And he's not distinguishing between men and women because he knows that the heart of God is that it would include everyone. The blessing of God would include men and women. It would include every skin color and every socioeconomic status and every situation, and every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And that is the good news of God's generous blessing. When we're vulnerable with him, he gives us freedom, and that freedom is contagious for others. I'm going to invite the band up as we close. David overflowed with generosity. When you are vulnerable with those around you, when you are vulnerable with God, God does a work in you that sets you free, and that freedom is something that other people can see.
And that freedom is freedom such that if you're surrounded with people and you have a high rank, you are willing to take off your rank. You are willing to drop your armor. You are willing to set aside the armor of accolades and accomplishments, of self-protection, of self-promotion, and you are willing to be seen as God made you to be before him. And it's a beautiful freedom that's visible to others as we let down that armor and are seen for who he has made us to be. As we think about the life of David, we think about another priestly king who would come after him, the ultimate priestly king, the one who would serve God in every respect as father and who would serve us with his humility on the cross, and that's Jesus. As Jesus made himself vulnerable on our behalf, he did that to set us free. Scripture says that he despised the shame, and for the joy set before him, he endured the cross so that you and I could live in freedom because of his vulnerability. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to enter back into worship. Would you allow this time to be a time between you and God? Would you allow this time to be a time not, not even with the people around you, although it's wonderful to worship corporately, but would you allow this time to be a time where you can be fully vulnerable with the God who made you strong and sensitive, vulnerable and free?